Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Uh, today, of course, though, we are absolutely delighted to welcome back local author Andrea Ports. Uh, Henry and Eva and the Castle on the Cliff is Andrea Ports' sixth book. Um, I hear there's a seventh already in the works, uh, Henry and Eva and the Famous People's Ghost. Um, apparently, it's an entire series, so once you fall madly in love with these characters, there is yet more to come. Um, of course, Andrea Ports is a best-selling American novelist who has also written, um, who also writes literary fiction for adults. Her first adult novel was made into a feature film, and uh, she's working on a new one now whose title caught my attention, They Were Like Wolves. I can't wait for that one to come out. Um, this book today, though, Henry and Eva and the Castle on the Cliff, has been very warmly reviewed. It has been called delightful, timeless, fresh, spooky, arch, entertaining, challenging, smart, spunky, a traditional mystery, fully realized, tinged with heartbreak, rich, beautiful, and worthy. Let's please give her a warm round of applause. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks for coming out in this uh, apocalyptic landscape to see this. How's everybody doing? Yeah, good? good. Enjoying the apocalypse, everyone? Um, okay, so um, as you know, I write usually adult books, but because uh, I noticed what Wyatt really likes seem to be spooky things, so that's what I, I thought I'd try to uh, go for this. So this is the first book in a series for HarperCollins, and as she said, the second one is Henry and and the Famous People Ghosts, and that takes place in Hearst Castle, so that's pretty fun, too, because there's, you know, famous ghosts like Winston Churchill and Humphrey Bogart and Groucho Marx and stuff like that. Marlena Dietrich. Um, okay, so, but that's enough of that. Um, so I'm just going to read just a little bit, um, and then I'm going to open it up to questions, which I think is more exciting, because then I get to interact a little bit. Plus, I just had eye surgery, so I can't really see anything. <laughs> All right, is everybody ready for this? Get this party? Okay. All right, so. Sometimes things can be perfect. Sometimes everything and everyone you know can just float around in a kind of eternal, blissful loop, like nothing can ever change, and the world will just keep spinning perfectly on its axis giggling, delirious with each turn. And sometimes it can all fall apart, just like that, smash. Shards everywhere, sharp like a room full of razors. Faster than you can say, wait, but I didn't know it would go. Hold on, I didn't know it could ever change. It does change, and by then it's too late. Here, I'll show you. Look over there. See that gray stone fence that looks like it's been here since before Columbus discovered America? The one covered with vines. Under the vines, the gray stones peeking out, playing hide and seek. Okay, now, through the gate. The black wrought iron one. There, see the big thicket full of trees, eucalyptus, torrey pines, cypresses, and even some redwoods? Okay, now, down that dirt road, through the clover, and watch out for the poison oak. There's the clearing, the light coming through the edge of the trees. This is the part where I always have to stop 
to catch my breath, to take it in, to feel it again for the thousandth time, just like the first time. Look, the grass meadows swooping down, down, down into the cliffs, and there, beyond the cliffs, the crashing deep blue Pacific Ocean. Westward, young one, that's the direction you face. If you were magic, you could see all the way to Tokyo. And there, just where the meadow starts to swoop around, perched just before the cliffs, the old Victorian house that looks a lot like it's haunted. Yes, people think it's a haunted house, but I know it's not because it's my house. I think it's the spires that make it look like a natural ghost habitat, and the wraparound porch, and the turrets, and the tiny graveyard in the corner of the property. That usually clinches it for people. But it's been there forever. I mean, what are we gonna do, move it? See that little boy there? on the steps of the porch, looking out at the ocean. Well, that little boy there with the dark hair and giant eyes, that's Henry, my kid brother. And if it were two months ago, my kid brother Henry would come running up to me and we'd go play hide and seek or leapfrog or we'd build an ant farm or fashion a kite out of sticks and leaves or we'd race all the way down the craggy path to the tiny beach below and throw ourselves onto the sand, panting, trying to catch our breath. But it's not two months ago, it's now two months after our parents died. Dun, 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 don't worry, it's not all depressing. Okay, so now we're gonna go to, um, we're gonna jump forward a little bit to, there have been some spooky things happening in the house. There was, Eva was brushing her teeth and she saw in the mirror behind her, an old, sort of an old man, an old, like a sort of ghost, what was it? Then she turns, it's gone. In the, in the kitchen, the door slams shut when there's no one there. So now they're sort of trying to figure out what's going on. It's already dark by the time we make it up the hill, neither of us wanting to go back to the realm of Terry the Terrible until the last second. The trees reach up to the sky, black silhouette arms spindle, spindling up to the stars, each turning on one by one. If we wanted to, we could have been full of fear if we didn't just have to, if we wouldn't have decided everything was normal, which we definitely have. We decided totally normal, so normal in fact that I believe the song is in order. Something chipper. Everything is well, everything is fine. No need to feel it's out of line. It's all just perfect. It's all just well. Don't you worry now. All will be well. Ava, no, don't stop me. I'm figuring out the chorus. Ava, I'm thinking maybe a key change here or. Ava! Jeez, what the heck? I pause, my magnum opus facing Henry. He does look a little pale. What? Turn around. What? Just turn around. Something in Henry's voice tell me I most definitely should not turn around because there is obviously something hideous, something terrifying, something too ghastly to be seen behind me. Maybe I won't? I stutter. I think you should. I squint at him, a vec purpose, sizing him up. Maybe he's just playing a trick on me. Maybe this is just some bit of psychology, like trying to scare someone when they have the hiccups. Okay, I'm not falling for it. Fine, don't turn around. It's getting closer anyway. It is getting closer? It is at this terrifying moment that I turn around. I can honestly tell you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if there were any sight that I could randomly bestow on another human being, it would not be this one. I never, neither in a million years nor for a million dollars, would randomly bestow this sight on even my very worst enemy, because what I'm facing 
is an army of incorporeal souls, lost phantasmas, ghosts, and they are shambling towards me. Should I keep going or should we just, yeah? Okay, all right, we'll see what happens with these ghosts. There was once a time when we were little, a festive time, when we went over to my dad's work colleague's house for a holiday party. It was a random one-off thing, and we never went back, partly because my mom was extremely annoyed at the extent to which the parents let their children play Minecraft. Not only was there screen time, but there was no limit on screen time, so basically all the kids at the party were just shuffled aside into the basement dungeon and put in front of a bunch of tiny screens to drool all over themselves the whole night and probably damage their eyes permanently. But the thing I remember the most from this party is the moment one of the big kids decided to play an R-rated movie on his iPad. All of us kids, there were about 20 of us, circled around to watch the inappropriate, not-for-our-consumption movie. Henry was the only kid who wasn't watching, and that's because he was conducting an experiment with cleaning supplies. I remember wanting to be brave, wanting to be a big kid, wanting to show I could watch the super scary movie too. It was only the part when the zombies came out of the ground and started coming toward it, towards us in droves, trying to eat brains, that any bravery I might have mustered up decided to hightail it out of my body. The good news is, Henry mixed ammonia with baking soda and accidentally exploded an entire Costco bulk of paper towels. The bad news is, that kind of ended the party. Now that I think of it, I'm sure for all the lamenting my mom did on the drive home, the hosts of that party were probably dragging our parents' names through the mud for letting their kid conduct dangerous science experiments in the basement unsupervised. So, you see, it all comes out in the wash. You're probably wondering why I'm telling you this. Well, that would be because um, those zombies coming out of the ground in the R-rated movie and scaring the tuna salad out of me all these years ago at the Christmas party, yes, those self-same zombies were across the lawn, coming toward us from the hill, sloping down to the east, which also happens to be the location of the family cemetery. Gulp. Should we try one more? Little one before Q&A? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Don't move. Um, I am currently frozen in fear, so Henry telling me not to move is a bit redundant. Allow me to describe the macabre vista before me. The lawn, usually green but now purple underneath the starlight, spreads down from where we are, the paths from the cliffs, all the way to the other side where the centuries-old ancestral cemetery is tucked away behind a giant magnolia tree. In front of us, too far away, is the house. Behind us is the cliff, which is about 50 to 60 foot drop to the water below. So you see, unless we want to become zombies and eat brains for the rest of our undead lives, we better think fast. Are those zombies? I managed to utter in despair. They can't be zombies. There's no such thing as zombies. They sure look like zombies. That's not logical. That's, there's no such thing, Henry tells himself. The good news is, whatever they are, they're moving slowly. I'd say about the pace of an octogenarian carrying a giant bag of groceries in front of you at the grocery store. So, so slow, it's almost unfathomable. As they inch their way closer, I begin to make out their clothing, as does Henry. Interesting. Their clothes appear to be early 19th, maybe 18th century, definitely Victorian era, and they don't seem decomposed in the way of traditional zombies. He thinks for a moment, then snaps his finger. Aha! I've got it. They're not zombies. Okay. Perhaps the electromagnetic field has allowed for some kind of paranormal transmittance, Henry postulates. In English, those are definitely ghosts. Right. The ghoulish figures are about 50 feet away from us now, which is 50 feet too close, wobbling toward us like molasses. I count five of them. One, two, three, four, five. Do you see any others, Emma? 
I can't help it. I shriek, is this actually happening right now? As they approach, their skin begins to reveal itself. Cloudy, translucent skin, seemingly wavering in and out of this plane of existence. In one second, they are there. You could swear it. The next, they seem like nothing more than a wave or even the thought of a wave. But why aren't they speaking? Henry whispers more to himself. Maybe they don't talk, I shrug. So they are silent ghosts? Maybe they don't want to be rude, like they don't want to yell or cause a disturbance. I'm just making up stuff now. Do you think they're here to harm us? Uh, I don't know. Why don't we stand here frozen and ask that while they devour our souls and usher us down to the netherworld, I suggest. According to my calculations, we could stand here another five minutes and easily make it to the house with time to spare. And this is true. During that entire exchange, they have only advanced about five feet. Henry nods. I'm going to go see what they want. I grab his arm. Wait, what? What are you talking about? It falls to reason that if they want to hurt us, we'd be dead already. Quite frankly, they are supernatural beings with, pow with powers of which we can can't possibly conceive. I have an idea. Why don't we just shoot video of them? We can post it on YouTube. Then all the ghost scientists, parapsychologists, then all the para-whateverists will see it and figure it out and we can just stay in our beds. I understand your theory, Eva, and your trepidation. However, they might not be visible to other carbon-based life forms. Excuse me? It's possible only we can see them, Henry dumbs it down. Why would you think that? The ghost menagerie is now 40 feet away from us. Listen, Eva, has Anyone else mentioned any other paranormal activity in the house? Marisol, Claude, Terry? No, no one has. Well, maybe the bathroom ghost of dental hygiene just wasn't interested in them, I contend. Maybe the ghost is just concentrating on our dental habits because we're younger and therefore more impressionable and they just want to make sure we have a positive relationship with flossing and our teeth in general, including gum health, which is very important. But Henry is still analyzing the battalion of ghosts before us, indifferent to my supernatural dental health hypothesis. What could they possibly want from us? They're clearly disinterested in the house. Their focus seems to be on you and me. Right, which makes me think our focus should be on getting the heck out of here, I offer. Are you curious? Henry asks. I'm curious in the way someone would be curious if a knife-wielding bandit approached them and asked for their lunch money. Like... There would be questions about who that person was, why they were wielding a knife, and why such overkill just for lunch money, but I wouldn't want to stick around to find out the answers. Your feelings are registered. He nods. Great, so let's go. Kids! The yell comes from the other direction. Kids, what in the heck are you doing out here? It's freezing. Your uncle has been worried sick. Henry and I both turned to see Terry the Terrible running out in slipper heels and an overcoat. Even though she didn't have time to put on actual shoes, she didn't forget to bring her cocktail. Wait, Henry stops. Look, Terry doesn't seem to see them. And indeed, Terry the Terrible seems to be running towards us with abandon, not caring, not a care in the world other than the wind batting her sideways and the liquid even in her drink. Her trajectory will directly bisect the ghost if she keeps on on her current vector. Oh my, Henry stops his science class short. What? They're gone. I turn to the coterie of ghosts and yes, indeed he do. They are completely vanished, disappeared, fiend. What the... Don't say anything, he mutters. You mean like, hey, did you just see that armada of zombies on the lawn? Exactly. Kids, dinner is ready. If you don't come in right now, I sort of, we're coming, we're coming, we shout back. Henry and I share a look. Well, this is awkward. No, there's nothing strange about rejoining our family inside after sharing a supernatural encounter on the lawn with five geriatric ghosts. This is all totally by the book. Cake, nothing to see here. Nope, nothing at all. Stop looking at me like that. All right, so just 
So now that I'm done reading that part, I am ready for to take a bunch of questions, pithy or not pithy, whatever you have to ask. Yes. He Henry has a thing where he's not so great in the world like with other kids and stuff like that, but he's really, really smart and he's good at figuring things out and making stuff and doing puzzles and stuff like that. So he has a really a special skill set. Um, but sometimes he doesn't quite fit in, but on the other hand, he may be the one who will be able to solve global warming. Yes, sis? Why is the rabbit purple? I don't know. You know, that was the illustrator who decided to do that, and there's not even a rabbit in the story, so I don't really know. <laughs> it's like there's a prominently featured rabbit on the cover, and there's no rabbit anywhere in here. Yes. So they're like, I think like 10, he's, Henry's 10 and she's 11. And I think the target age for the range for the book is sort of like, I would say six to 12. Um, but you know, if you're reading it, if, if someone's reading it to their kids, it can go as low as, you know, like four and five and six, you know, it just depends. I mean, it's sort of like the same age as people would be reading Harry Potter kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Hello, are you? No? Okay. I can't see. I stand feet so Yes? Did you, um, you normally write for grown-ups, so did you change your process? Like, did you have to think differently? How did you get into the headspace? That is an excellent question from the front row. Um, okay, so it's, at first I thought, this is going to be impossible. Why did I decide to do this? But then I realized that Basically, if I just took out this, the, the sort of subject matter that's dark, which is in my other books, as, as some people here know that have read Bury This and Hit, um, and if I took out the swear words, and just tried to sort of be as, as honest as I could. But, you know, I kept in mind, you know, Wyatt and Finn and all his friends, Mateo, like how, you know, the kinds of things they're interested in. Like, he's... They're really into, into mysteries. You know, we just had a mystery party, things like Clue. By the way, Finn figured out the mystery at the party. It's very exciting. Um, the, you know, figuring out things like uh, Clue or Scooby-Doo, all that stuff. Like, they really seem to love figuring out mysteries. So that was, that was, it was sort of like me looking at what they're like and kind of figuring out and then figuring out what to do. Instead of like, I'm going to do this thing because I, you know, because as many of you know, before I was a mom, I didn't have no idea what I did with one of Yes? Mateo? Uh, what? It never mentioned the ants until you read later on. That's true. I should have, I should have, uh, I should have mentioned that before. So, you know, this is sort of loosely based on Hamlet, if in case you haven't. There's the uncle, the kids are in the house. They're there stuck with their real estate uh, loving Uncle Claude, who they call Claude the Claude. So if you've read Hamlet, Claudius, and his, his kind of trashy wife, Terry the Terrible. And they have to figure out, once they're visited by a ghost, what happened to their parents. So it's, it's sort of like very loosely based on that. Yes, Ben. Really? 
reminds me of some, some little kids I know too around here. Um, okay, you back there. Well, I, as I said, there's this really old, old play called Hamlet by a guy named William Shakespeare. Right, so he had this play called Hamlet, and I thought I'd always wanted to do kind of a version of Hamlet where I, I split that character into two, a brother and a sister, and then set it up in Big Sur. Secretly, I thought, well, if you know they ever turn it into a movie like some of my other books, then I can go stay in Big Sur, which was what I wanted to do. But I have sadly been told by uh, my screenwriting partner that they would probably shoot it in Vancouver. So, spoiled. Um, Um, well, it's interesting, you know, I'm not sure exactly, but I'll tell you the, the best places for me to come up with ideas are when I'm really bored, so I'm not in front of a screen, I'm not doing anything, usually it's like I'm stuck in traffic, I'm in the shower, you know, it's like I'm always someplace weird, and that's when the, those good ideas come, which is why it's very important, and I have to work on this myself, to not be in front of a screen so I can actually have those ideas because they really come in the moments when you're bored. That's usually when the great ideas come. Right here. <laughs> okay, Mateo? Uh, how long did it take to like, finish writing the book? That's a good question, Mateo. I, so I started this, now my first book, see it's a pro the process is getting, is getting quicker and quicker. My first book, it took me 10 years because I didn't really believe in myself at all. And then the second book took about two years, my book, Bear This. And now this is my sixth book, and this took, um, I would say, about eight months. So, yeah. And there's one on the way, which I just finished. Um, one, one second. Yeah. Hi, honey. What? So, like, what party were they apparently having in the story? What party? Well, in my, in my idea, they, this is actually based on when Wyatt was at his friend Finn's house, uh, and they were, uh, they were watching a movie called Paranormal, which we, they were only about three or four, but I realized in the middle of it that they shouldn't be watching it, which is a horrible feeling to have as a parent. This also happened when we watched Goonies, and uh, is it Bad News Bears? Jumanji, the original Jumanji. Um, as you know, like you, you try your hardest and then you'll be in the middle of something and you'll and they'll start swearing or whatever and you realize you've made a mistake. <laughs> All right, more questions. We're both silent. You can ask questions. They don't have to be about the book. They can be about the process of writing. In case any of you guys are budding writers like Finn or Mira. Anyone? Anyone? Finn? This book is, let's see here. You know, there's illustrations in the book, by the way. I suppose I should have showed them. It's 273 pages. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes? So what, what usually happens is I'll, I'll get an idea and I'll just start writing. And I'll write the whole first draft really very very much knowing, and it helps now that this is the sixth time or seventh time now, 
knowing that the first draft is always really bad. Like, it's just bad. You just have to say, this is bad. I know this is bad, but I'm just going to keep going. Because if you, I find that if, if you go back in the middle of the process, you'll never finish it because you'll just get lost in a sea of self-doubt and just, just not do it, you know? So, so I'll finish the first draft, and then I'll put it away for like two weeks and just sort of try to not, not think about it at all. And then go back to the first draft and then start like, and then read that. And usually my feeling reading that is like, hmm, by the end, like, that's better than I thought it was going to be. That's got to go, that's got to go, that's got to go. Maybe we should do more of this and stuff. And then, and then I'll go through and do the fine tuning. Yeah. Yes, Finn. Well, that's a really good question, and um, and basically what it is is, okay, so the first thing is you write the whole thing, right? And you, you say to yourself, you don't get mad at yourself, you just say, okay, this is what it is, I'm, I'm just figuring it out, I'm just seeing the lay of the land, I don't really know. And then you put it away for a little while, and then you go back and you see what you wrote, and then you think like, oh, that's pretty good, that works well, or oh, th that character is a lot better than I thought, or that that's not working, that is really bad. And you go through, and you, you just have to be really honest with yourself. The, but don't show it to anyone yet. This is not showing it to anyone time. This is you being honest with yourself about like, okay, this is really funny. Oh, that character just made me laugh. Oh, this, and then you go through and you, you fine tune it and you figure out oh, what, what's good and what's bad. And then after you're done with it and you, you think, okay, this is the best that I can do. I cannot make this better. There's no way. Then you show it to somebody else. But when you're working on something, it's your secret. And you, you have to keep it precious and away. Because a lot of people will say, you know, they'll be like, oh, that's bad. Or, oh, that'll never work. And, you know, and, and people can be very... Yeah, they'll, they'll make you give up. So it's very important to keep things uh, precious in the beginning and keep things to, to your, and protect your baby. Yes? They found the illustrator for me, um, and she's also the illustrator for the rest of them, for the next one. And I have to say, I really didn't think they found a good one. Like, I, I've definitely had book covers come back and been like, oh, God, or, you know, this is just the worst. And this is really, basically, the first the first book cover I've got, that I was like, wow, that is cool. And, and she's doing the next one, too, which... I think the friend of, it, of the Henry and Evan, the famous people ghost, the friend is like them driving a golf cart and then like Winston Churchill is here, <laughs> Groucho Marx is here, so it's kind of cool. I'm excited. Can you show us a couple of the illustrations? Yes. Do you guys want to see a picture of the ghost, the family ghost? Yeah. Well, you can't really see it from where you are probably. No, well, people will see it when they, you know. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, yes, Lisa? Did you have to do a lot of research on this? Yeah. I, oh, that's the thing, is I, so I had a really weird experience um, where um, I had, I had to stay in a place called Jefferson, Texas, and I had, I had to go to a, a, a book co convention thing, you know, 
And I, I researched it. I looked. It said Jefferson, Texas. Everything was crowded. Everything was overtaken. But there was this one hotel that was totally free. And it was totally cool. It was a beautiful hotel. The rooms should have been like $300 a night. But somehow they weren't. So I booked it and didn't think twice about it at all. And then the night that I got to the hotel in Jefferson, Texas, the, there was no one at the hotel, just a little envelope outside, Andrea Portis. I go, I pick it up, I go and I stay in the hotel. And I'm not gonna say any more because I don't wanna scare anyone, but if you go research Jefferson, Texas hotel, you will realize that I actually was staying in one of what is considered the most haunted places in the country by myself, which I didn't know I was by myself, but because there were so many things happening, I didn't realize I was by myself until then I realized like at the end of the weekend that I had been by myself at this crazy haunted place the whole weekend. So that sort of began my fascination with ghosts and ghost stories and stuff like that. Don't ever go to that place, by the way. <laughs> Even out of curiosity, don't do it. Um, any other questions? Yes? I think someone has already asked this general question, but was there a moment of inspiration where you said, yes, I'm going to take Hamlet, I'm going to do it in this way, Big Sur, with these brother and sister, was there a moment of inspiration? Not really. I think it was just like, you know, I think uh, anyone here that is a creative person, which there are a lot, you know, you just sort of get your ideas and then they're sort of verbaling. And so there was, they just sort of verbaled together. But there was the moment that I was like, okay, I'm going to do that is when, um, is uh, probably after being a mom, you know, and seeing why and seeing what he's into, I thought, okay, this will be cool. I think it'll be fun. Yes. You know, I started to really like there's there's five ghosts, and I started to really like writing them. And in fact, I feel like um, when I was reading it to Wyatt and and hearing hearing his responses to those ghosts, I realized that I needed to put them more in the second book because they're sort of like they're kind of what makes it different without that whole element of these like kind of hilarious um, ancestral ghosts that are, um, that are, that maybe I should have read because they're sort of funny. I, I, I think it's just like you just have like a regular old Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew, but then you add in these, the supernatural and the, and the wit and the humor. And I think that that's sort of like, has become my favorite thing. And certainly in terms of like going out and meetings and stuff like that, it certainly seems to be like the special sauce or whatever, what people are really excited about. Um, wait, Finn, I'm going to ask over here first. Hi. Hi. And when is this next book in the series coming out? So the next book is due December 1st. Uh, so it's, um, so it will come out probably next year or the year after that. Yeah. So we'll probably do another uh, Franklin fundraiser for that one too. Yes, Ted? Um, uh, when writing a book or even in a book, mm -hmm. I always find the first chapter boring because there's never any exciting parts in mm -hmm. it. Like when writing a book, what do you think about like the first chapter? 
Well, usually what you want to have if you're if you're writing a book or if you're writing a TV show or you're writing a movie is in the first couple first pages they actually call it then they call it page two. It's called a hook, which is you'll see it when you're watching a movie. A lot of times there will be something that happens in page you know like right in the first five minutes that you think, oh my God, what is that? What happened? What happened to that person? Is that a ghost? Did they start you know? And then you start to that's. The hook, and you'll notice if it does. If you're watching something or you're reading something that doesn't have a hook, you'll be like, "Why am I watching this?" Like that. So it's good to have that in there when you're right when you're writing something. You gotta put that in there. Yeah, then it's exciting. So it's a mystery. You know, a lot of times there will be something in a story that's kind of a mystery that you're you're watching it to sort of figure out what is that thing. Um, and you, by the way, in answer to your question earlier, you asked about the endings and the beginnings. You know, whenever you're writing anything, a book, movie, or anything like that, the, you know, sometimes you have an ending that you originally thought of, like, and then you realize, eh, this ending isn't really working, you know? And the, the book ends, or the story ends, and I'm just shrugging. But, but you have to then go back and figure it out, because the ending, landing the ending, is the most important part then, because then people think, oh, you know, if you, if you can get the good ending, people like it, but if you just peter out there, then people are just like, eh, they don't like it. That's true. You leave them with a question mark. That's good too. Really. A cliffhanger. A cliffhanger. There we go. Yes. Um, at the point when my uh, publisher paid me to do a whole series. <laughs> no, I mean I sort of had a general idea, you know, but you never know, you know. So it's, I mean. Sometimes you think, oh, this is going to be a series, and then by the time you're done with the first one, you think, like, eh, I'm over it. But No, they actually read um, the, the treatment, just sort of the idea in a couple of chapters, and then, so then, and then, and then, of course, then you have to be like, oh, okay, well, now I have to come up with the second one. We hope it's good. <laughs> or, you know, like, good luck, or whatever it is, you know. It's actually easier to write something that you're super inspired to write than it is to write something that someone has asked you to write that you don't know what you're going to write yet. All right, any more questions? It seems like we're winding down here. Any, any last-minute questions? Come on, now's the time. It's a great opportunity. Nope? Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for coming, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.